Hello, and thank you as always for downloading The Tully Show. One quick note before we get the show on the road. If you enjoy the music, you are about to hear me discussing with Tony Thaxton some prime 1980s unintentional comedy, jock rock, the Super Bowl shuffle, and a bunch of songs that make the Super Bowl shuffle look good by comparison. You're going to want to see the music videos, which are probably even worse than the songs themselves. I've got a blog post up for them on my Patreon, where I'm also doing a couple of different podcasts a week. Tully Time, a Rambling Man Q&A thing. If you're listening to this on the day this episode goes up on Monday, tomorrow night, we're doing a live streaming video hang, watching a horrible, horrible horrible movie called love on a leash if you're into that sort of thing visit me there for the links to all the songs you're about to hear and much much more patreon.com slash mike tully thank you now on with the show okay you ready to start this show uh your host of the evening is a really funny dude um i forgot his last name but i've seen him before and he's really funny uh give it up for mike Coming to you live on tape during week 98 of quarantine from my eight-year-old son's bedroom in rapidly gentrifying Culver City adjacent California, boasting a partially obstructed view of the smog-shrouded urban sprawl of the City of Angels. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today once again, the once and future drummer of Motion City Soundtrack, the host of the Bizarre Albums podcast, and an all-around delightful human being. Hello, and welcome back, Tony Thaxton. Hello, I'm your guest, Tony Thaxton. Is it true that you have not been my guest on this show since August? Uh, I could see that being true. It's, I was it's, going through it's been like my notes. Not super mm-hmm. recent, but not crazy long either. Yeah, something like that. That is, as much as time has become elastic in a way that it never was before in the last nine months or so, that was the most shocking time fact that has, <laughs> that has come my way. I, cannot, I feel like I spoke to you yesterday, although I guess we have not spoken since the Mandalorian finale, so that alone puts mm. us back. Well, that was only, that was only December. That's a, See, like I say, time has become I know, largely irrelevant. I feel like I'm in one of those like bad Stephen King, like the, the, the forgotten novels that got made into the TV miniseries. That's how, like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like living in the Langoliers. Yeah, I know. What is, yeah, today's January 7th, and it feels sure. like, it feels like Why cr- not? Christmas was six years ago, I think. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, well, first of all how have you been since august uh you know hanging in there up ups and downs just trying to get through this like everybody else you know sure the- all, all things considered it could be a lot worse you know i can see your home it looks you still have an orderly place you got four walls walls you got a ceiling there aren't there aren't holes punched in through anywhere yeah i mean those are <laughs> all the, not, the other wall you can't see you know? <laughs> i see yeah. yeah at least what i'm getting is not dystopian yeah i gotta present something nice (laughs) (laughs) so uh i don't want to spend 15 minutes talking about star wars which we often do when you and i speak but i do want to hear what you think you and i texted briefly about the the finale of of um the mandalorian just where you feel that storyline sits and where star wars sits in the disney universe uh, I mean, I couldn't be much more on board, I think. Um, okay. I, I really, I mean, I really loved season one, but I think I loved season two even more, especially those last 
like the last half of season two. Um, it, yeah, it just like uh, delivered big time. Like every time that show would start to like maybe go into some territory that made me a little skeptical, like, oh, this could get corny. And uh, it like always came through like they would handle it really well, I think. Um I, and I think this is something you and I had texted about, was I was, I was of the opinion that I know a lot of people were, that I was like, so is this like the, is is the Mandalorian becoming the book of Boba Fett? Like, it's going to be like an anthology show, but apparently that's... that's right, because you go, it's called The Mandalorian, it's been yeah. about a Mandalorian featuring, featuring other Mandalorians, it would have fit at least under the title to yeah. make every couple of seasons about a different Mandalorian and for people who don't follow Star Wars they're the guys with the Boba Fett helmets yeah and I was so the, obviously that includes Boba Fett yes and I was that was like a prediction I had made a long time ago is that like someday there would be some sort of like shift where that that would happen so it's like maybe that's like why they just called it the Mandalorian and then it could like be different characters um but I was wrong I usually am with my predictions um and I, I was I was on board with that plan though because I felt like as much as I love the characters that are on the show now, I felt like that story just wrapped up so nicely. Um, I know. I know that there are uh, people that are like, yeah, but there's this whole thing with the dark saber and all that still, and that's that's that territory that I I get a little nervous about, and I just I don't care about that stuff nearly as much. Of course not. Of course not. And that's the stuff that makes give star wars people a bad name that for the last 40 years we've been caring about lightsabers and now all of a sudden there's a dark saber <laughs> yeah it's a little it's a little too cute it's the stuff that reminds you that this stuff is let's face it really intended for children oh yeah and like anytime anytime i like get really bummed out on on something i don't like that happens in star wars in general that's I'm, i've gotten to an age in my life now where i can at least like just remind myself of that and be like it doesn't matter this is just i'm just trying to have fun watching a thing and it was really really fun it was as good or better than some of the recent movies which have also been pretty good the best of the the disney movies but so i don't think you were right in your prediction which is also my was my assumption at the time that they would wrap up the din i think his character's actual name is storyline and move on to boba fett although i'm not all that excited about a boba fett series it did feel like maybe you wanted to leave them wanting more with the Mandalorian. And and I, I can't think of a good example, but there are so... Okay, here's an example of a show that probably nobody listening to this has watched. The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt on, mm-hmm. on Netflix was a series that the first series was really, really good. And you were excited for the second one. And the second one, you could see even they had realized... The prem- there was more to the premise than even the creators and the writers realized in the first season. And after seeing the actors actually have their interplay, they go, oh, wow, there's really a lot to be mined here. And the second season is an improvement on the already very good first season. And I don't know what it is with these streaming limited run things. Arrested Development was most definitely a victim of this, in my opinion. By the third season, everybody's just running around in circles. Yeah. And... And you do like it, and you keep watching, but there are diminishing returns, and I fear that there will be diminishing returns from the, yeah, nobody is going to care about the Darksaber and Bo-Katan like they cared about this Mandalorian and and, and Baby Yoda. I'd love to be wrong. We have been wrong. We have underestimated the creators so many times, but perhaps it should be some half-assed Boba Fett, uh, some fat Boba Fett series now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think (laughs) the thing is people do 
ca- there are a lot of people that do care and it's it tends to be the younger people that grew up on the prequels and watched all the clone wars cartoons and um so there definitely is an audience for that I, it's just not that's not the side of that's kind of like the side of star wars where it just gets a little too a little too sci-fi for me yeah if that I makes agree. any sense like mm-hmm. yeah but, it's a fine uh, line because they, they, they occupy like a, a pretty specific sliver of the sci-fi universe and every now and again they'll pass somebody on the street because goddamn, it's hard coming up with a bunch of fresh mutant freaks for every single <laughs> episode but you'll see a guy to go ooh, mm-hmm. that's a little he's a little star trek <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's a little something i've seen on the upn before yeah and that whole storyline feels a bit like that to me yeah for sure but even like that stuff too. Like I, I can now go back and watch, you know, the original trilogy that you know I've seen a million times and have loved my entire life. But still, like you know, if you really focus in and like as much as as great as the cantina scene is, if you really like focus in on certain aliens in that canteen or cantina, <laughs> there's some pretty stupid looking things in there. <laughs> yeah. I guess that is a part of the rich tapestry of Star Wars as well. Yeah. And now there's going to be now there's going to be 15 series, and it, it unfortunately does seem that they are destined to repeat the mistake of oversaturation that they swore they weren't going to make again seven months ago. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know. That part doesn't really bother me. It's like you know what? Uh, sure, like if 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 people don't want to watch certain things, then don't watch them. I'm probably going to watch all of them. I'm never as interested as interested in the animated shows, but uh, all the live action stuff, sign me up. So I invited you here today because somebody, some guy, and it, it kills me. I spent 10 minutes this morning going through all of my email accounts and Twitters and what have you, trying to find this guy's name or tag so that I could credit him. Some man, I'm pretty sure it's a man, sent me a wonderful link and um, as soon as I, and this is something I cannot believe, I was not aware of, I cannot believe I've never seen or heard before. And as soon as I clicked on the link, you were the first person that I thought of. And it turns out this is something I think you have talked about on your Bizarre Albums podcast before. It's a one-off single recorded by the world champion 1986 Mets. <laughs> yep. Get mesmerized. Yeah. yeah. Get mesmerized. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, Not a clunky uh, title at all. No, once you have the title, you might say, boy, guys, these these sports team singing songs is getting really, really cheesy, but you just can't not use a title like Get Mesmerized. <laughs> so let me, uh, let me share a, a little clip of this with you to refresh your memory. I think you have talked about it on your pod, and let me introduce a new generation of sports team anthem enthusiasts to this 1986 classic i think we're going to be hearing verses from lenny dykstra who i personally have a little bit of history with lenny dykstra you're a little bit of a sports guy right more than people sometimes assume ish yeah i i okay. I, I watch some football and i i'll watch like postseason baseball i watched a lot more baseball when i was younger but yeah Exactly. I could name probably half of the roster of the 1986 Mets, and I could name zero of the roster of the 2020 right. New York New York Mets. So I was a Yankees fan growing up, but I was a big baseball card collector and autograph hound, and uh, my mom was really good about um, uh, just scouring the newspaper, and if there was anything free that we could do, we were there doing it. And so Lenny Dykstra... Um, was doing an autograph signing at, at a mall in the town of Secaucus, um, mm-hmm. uh, one or two towns over. And so my mom's like, yeah, we're there. 
free autograph professional baseball player and the Mets ran away with the pennant that year they they won by like 20 games and I doubt that when Lenny Dykstra's agent negotiated what in those days was probably like 500 bucks to show up at an art store and sign Lenny Dykstra prints that it crossed anybody's mind that it might be the morning after they clinched the play the the pennant mm-hmm. and so there is absolutely zero chance lenny dykstra had slept when he showed up at right. the mall to sign all these <laughs> other, and i have my mom still has you know photograph albums full of me with bleary-eyed baseball players who are so fucking sick of sitting there signing their name on some some piece of paper so lenny dykstra flash forward years later has become you know he made money after baseball. He lost money after baseball. He's become a running thing on the Howard Stern show. He was always like a, it wasn't too hard to, to guess that he was a revolting human being, but now his revolting nature is like in full flower and on full display for all the world to see. And as everybody listening to this knows, he was on the Jason Ellis show one time and he thought that we were attacking him because he's not necessarily the was never necessarily the brightest guy and does not necessarily have all of the brain cells he started off with left. Mm-hmm. And we, he thought we were attacking him. And I tried to say, Lenny, you don't understand. I'm actually trying to give you a chance. I was a fan, dot, 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 which is not even true. I was a Yankees fan. Uh-huh. I was just going to say, I met you when I was a kid. And it, it, I don't give a shit. <laughs> so everybody, <laughs> Len, Lenny Dykstra is, is a name in the in the mythology of of you know, my radio career and the Jason Ellis show. But anyway, Lenny Dykstra and I believe also their shortstop Raphael Santana are on the clip of uh, this 1986 hit record, Get Metsmerized. With control and power of a diesel train, throwing two stone bullets and a ball and chain. Lenny D, your spirit's contagious. What you do with your body is really outrageous. I love to run down long fly balls. I catch them all. Ain't afraid of no wall. I bunt, I run, and then I dive. It's a wonder. Still alive. Rafael Santana is my name. Playing short stop is my game. I'm a cool glove man. I'm real smooth. Been mesmerized and seen the groove. Teens real hot. Oh boy. <laughs> it's even better than I remembered. It's it's amazing. And so here's the thing. People I'm sure remember everybody remembers the Super Bowl shuffle. Mm-hmm. This is without a doubt the uh, the thriller of this genre. <laughs> The 85 Bears, one of the most dominant um, football teams of, of my lifetime, were... Okay, I don't want to say that they... it Because there's always this thing in sports of jinxing yourself. I guess they weren't... I, at the time, I understood it that they were so cocky. They knew they were going to win the Super Bowl, and they were already singing songs in, to glorify their presumed victory. And they swear now that if you actually listen to the lyrics, they were just saying, we're just very hopeful that we can play well enough to have a chance to compete for a ring. <laughs> Well, it was. See, this is this is my uh, era and and team yeah. actually because I grew up a Bears okay. fan, and so like that was like right as I got into it. And it was like so technically they did record the song. Uh, they may have have clinched a playoff berth by that point, but they, it wasn't even the postseason yet when they recorded it. Uh, and I know that it was it was done for as like a charity thing, like they raised money for uh, needy families in the Chicago area. Um, sort of. The lawsuits might still be going on for that. Oh, right, right, right. I, yeah. So, um, wide receiver 
and um, deep ball threat Willie Galt mm-hmm. had aspirations to Hollywood and and a music career. And he was friends with local musicians, and they, I think there was a local record label, and they said, we should do this. And so Willie, I think, was a popular guy around the locker room, and he tried to get everyone involved. And I think Dan Hampton was the one guy who was like, guys, this is not a good idea. Yes, this is that video, sounds This video right. is not... Right. And, and he was the voice of reason. And I... Many of the players, like Mike Singletary, for example, who seems like, um, who's the guy with the glasses and run DMC? That's DMC. Uh, I always forget who's who. I think, yeah, Reverend Run is the no glasses guy. So, so Mike Singletary came across in real life as in this video <laughs> as like, if DMC's dad was on a bunch of Benadryl <laughs> and then dropped a rhyme uh-huh. and but he says and this was his this was his cover then and now we i only agreed to do it because it was for charity it was for a good cause and that's what they all say now and nobody it just was this thing that was thrown together very very quickly and yeah we're doing it for charity we're doing it we're doing it for charity they didn't clear it with the team they didn't clear it with the league and then eventually the league and the team were like okay let's talk about what charity you have in mind and i think the league was thinking like 80 percent and the record label was thinking more like ten percent, mm. and this went on for this went on for for quite a long time. But um, we're going to go through these sort of chronologically. But we we have to acknowledge the uh, the master. This is from a golden age in the nineteen eighties before white guys were embarrassed to put on full display how poorly <laughs> they danced. I could play the Walter Payton verse, which is really not bad. This was so my era. Of the and I know that the the sync won't work out right because there's always that lag with with Zoom. But I I'm quite confident that I know still to this day 100 percent of the lyrics to the Super Bowl Shuffle. <laughs> Look, I, I'm willing on the on the honor system when we're done here. If you just want to fire it up on YouTube and fire your own companion track and, and take a crack at it, I'd be I would be more than happy to 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 stick that on the end of this. I mean, I believe you. Yeah. Or if you were going to play somebody's verse, I'll try and recite the verse before you play it, and we'll, we can test me that way. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> so let's go to the, like I say, I could do Walter Payton, but I'm going to do the Punky QB instead. Okay. I'm the Punky QB so, known as McMahon. When I hit the turf, I've got no plan to just throw my body all over the field. Uh, I can't dance, but I can, uh, that, that, that actually is a line that I've never been clear on what he says. I can't dance, but I can my mother, yeah, there's a few of his lines. I Because it sounds like he says, my mother made the cats I aim to please. Uh, <laughs> I play so cool. I aim to That's why, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I've, I've let myself down a little bit, but uh, I got the majority. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see. So the punky QB, Jim McMahon. This was a simpler time when wearing sunglasses was a public identity. Uh-huh. So like in the movie, That Thing You Do, remember like the, mm-hmm. the Tom Hanks manager character like says to the drummer, oh, you're the guy who wears sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Wear those all the time. You're like, you're shades now. Yeah. Jim McMahon, I think actually had suffered some sort of eye injury He's, when he was a young person. He stabbed himself in the eye with a fork. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's precisely right. So he he uh, he did like the look. There's no doubt about that. But he also was very light sensitive. He seemed then and remains today like a, like a bad Michael Keaton character. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, to refresh everyone's memory, here is the punky QB, and we can all test uh, Tony's memory of this iconic hip-hop <laughs> verse. I'm the punky QB known as McMahon. When I hit the turf, I've got no plan. I just throw my body all over the field. 
I can't dance, but I can throw the pill. I motivate the cats I like to tease. I play so cool, I aim to please. That's why you all got here on the double to catch me doing the Super Bowl shuffle. <laughs> I motivate the okay. cats. That's what he says. Motivate the cats. I love to tease, right? And also, he said, "I think um, I throw the pill." Is that what he said? Yeah, I think I don't he's. Know. It's. I, I think he's saying "pill" as as a nickname for for a football. Right. Right. Yeah. Th- this is. Uh, it's one of those songs that you know. There's all those songs from that came out when you were a kid that you just like misheard lyrics and so in your head like still to this day you think that and then one day you'll hear it and go like ah so that's what i just did with motivate the cats yeah right well especially how many of them are songs like songs i I dearly love from you know some of my favorite albums where you just sing gibberish along with Mm -hmm. it and you never question it and almost invariably when you find out the lyric you were singing something that made no sense and they were singing something that made absolute perfect sense that if you had ever (laughs) taken a half a second to think about well fill in the blank what would get them from line a to line c yeah that sounds anything remotely like what you're saying but it's just that's you don't use the rational part of your brain when you're enjoying classic hits like the super bowl shuffle so i remember that as the the song that started that trend and there were boy there was more to that trend when i started putting this together than even i yeah, same recalled or would have guessed. I don't know how many of these you've gone over on on bizarre albums or bizarre singles, but they there are many, and and they are so bizarre. And I understand that some people don't need to hear fifteen of these as badly as I do, because in certain ways they are all the same song over and over again. But I, I look at them as they're like they're snowflakes. They're all individually <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Yes. It's they're like um. They're like when you get the sushi platter. Like, I don't know who can really, like, blindfolded tell the difference between, like, the tuna one and the hamachi one, but it would be boring if you just had an entire plate full of, of tuna sushi. Mm-hmm. They're each, they each reveal themselves in, in a slightly unique way that I think makes each of them worth revisiting. I was not able to get the backstory on each and every one of these. I did do a little bit of research, um, but it, it seems to me that the song that started this, I thought it might have been the, the Pittsburgh Pirates in the late 70s. That's the We Are Family thing. But they literally just took the Sister Sledge song and made that right. their theme song. I don't think they ever, sadly, I don't think any recordings exist of Willie Stargell and Roberto Clemente singing We Are Family. Uh-huh. Um, so in 1984... Ronnie Lott of the 49ers, it seems, was friends. And you're nodding your head. You're very familiar with 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 a lot of these songs. Well, right yeah, now. I mean, so, some of it. We'll see. We'll see if what uh, what all you have. But yeah, I I, uh, I actually just recently talked about this 49ers one because it's everybody thinks of like the yeah, like you were saying, the Bears being that first one and they won the Super Bowl that year. But like literally the year before the 49ers did it and won the Super Bowl. Oh wow! I didn't even make that connection. Yeah. And then there's that classic story. I don't know if that this is the coolest sports thing that I've ever heard. I don't know if it was that Super Bowl. The Montana 49ers obviously won a couple. But the story goes that they're in the huddle and there's a minute and a half left and they're driving to for the winning score and everybody's a little bit tense. This is for all the marbles. This is what you dream about when you're a little kid. And supposedly they're in the huddle calling the play and Joe Montana looks up and looks in the stands and he goes, oh, hey, is that John Candy? <laughs> I've never heard that story. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, that's why Joe Montana is Joe Montana. He was just the coolest fucking dude ever. And you you knew you were going to win when he was your quarterback. (laughs) Right. So let's see. The San Francisco 49ers Sing is the cover of this 1950s looking 45 
uh, single sleeve for um, the song entitled We're the 49ers, which we'll pick up at this point right here. Is anybody ever going to rap in that, or are they just going to keep group singing Bananarama style the entire time? Uh, I can't remember, actually. I, I just, I literally just talked about this one for, uh, not, not, I just, like, played a little, talked briefly about it on a, because I did an episode on the Dallas Cowboys Christmas album recently, and I talked about this song. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I'm, that might have been my, that might have been my capper for this thing. I don't know if you and I have the exact same one in mind, but we might well. It, the, the entire world needs to know about Troy Aikman's career as a country singer. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. I, I only hinted at that one, so, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. The timing on these is a little bit dicey. Nobody cares nearly as much as you or I do to document <laughs> document the nuts and bolts of these things. There's quite a few of them that are like from 85 or 86. And like when I say the 85 Bears won the Super Bowl, I believe that means that they won in um, early 1986. Yes, correct. Right. Okay. So when I say the 85 Seattle Seahawks had a song that leads me to believe that this too predated the Super Bowl shuffle because the Seattle Seahawks for all of their musical talent I think maybe played in like a wild card game and then <laughs> bowed out of the playoffs that year yeah if if even yeah if even exactly what they did have going for them was I forget if it was a running back or a wide receiver I want to say a wide receiver um, with a little bit of musical talent by the name of Michael Jackson <laughs> Literally, he's just a different Michael Jackson, and he's the guy that leads them. These are like all, these are like all filmed in the locker rooms because they all just had locker rooms ready to go. Right. So that's where the music videos were. They didn't have to any. They didn't have to all get in fifty cars and go somewhere else. And they came up with this um, their spin on a classic tune. And the blue wave is on a roll. I'm I'm fully on board for that one. Yeah, the 85 Seahawks and Locker Room Rock. Did a member of the team come out of the shower playing a saxophone? You bet he did. <laughs> I hope that that was the inspiration for this. That's just something this guy did, and they're like, we should do a song. <laughs> And I give like triple bonus points anytime it's not rapping, but when the players were earnest enough to try to sing a little bit. Oh, yeah. And I think invariably it was one guy who either could sing a little bit or thought he could sing a little bit who just talked mm -hmm. five other defensive linemen into joining him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Okay, so everybody remembers the Super Bowl shuffle. What few recall is that as... Thoroughly as the 85 Bears destroyed the 85 New England Patriots on the field at the Super Bowl, 
their their victory was perhaps even more decisive in the musical arena because we we all know the Super Bowl shuffle. Very few recall the Patriots answer song with uh-huh. the just starting with the inexplicable title New England, the Patriots, and we. Okay, so there's a bit of cheating because they brought in some female vocalists, as many of these teams did. But the guy who took that little pre-chorus line at the end there could have would have slotted in nicely in REO Speedwagon. I think their <laughs> kicker could sing a little. Well, what I was going to say was I don't think... I think this whole song is cheating, isn't it? Because I, I don't think this is actually the team in any way. I think really? it's literally just a random song that was released. No. Um, because Come on, I, that, that guy with the, the that guy he looked like uh he looked exactly like Kevin Green. He's like a Hall of Fame defensive player guy, right? I mean it's not him, obviously. Yes, this is early. Yeah, he was a little later. For sure. Patriot, but this guy yeah. looked this guy is a is a football looking studio <laughs> musician. Right. A studio musician he was. Yeah, I, I could be wrong, but that was my knowledge that was what I remembered was that it was just kind of this like you know, an answer song, but it was just kind of done by random people um but i do remember that coming like i literally remember that from when it came out because when the super bowl was happening like mtv even played that a little bit they sure did they played both of them yeah uh because i still literally i can't see a patriots game on tv without that song still getting in my head for a moment that is a curse. Now, I'll be living with this episode for at least like three days as well. I, I, I apologize in advance some people listening to this, but boy, that's, that, is a, that, is, that is a curse that's going on, on decades long now. <laughs> so, the, I mean, the Bears thing was such a phenomenon. I saw it went to 41 on the Billboard pop chart. Frankly, I'm surprised it didn't go a little bit higher. I thought that that was uh, a legitimate phenomenon at the time America was in love with the bears. They were in love with Jim McMahon. They were in love with Walter Payton. They were really in love with William refrigerator Perry, who was Mm -hmm. popping up in TV shows and doing commercials and stuff like that. And, you know, nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. So by the next season, several other teams who had very little (laughs) championship aspirations but each had a wide receiver that knew a guy who owned a record label mm-hmm. were were coming out with their um their imitations and this one i recall from the time the 1986 raiders had the silver and black attack which i remember being ever so slightly less embarrassing than the other two let's see if i'm <laughs> right about that Uh-oh. They're going to group rap. <laughs> yeah, that's another one I've been aware of for a while, but I had not actually heard any of yet. 
I don't know. How did these things come to us back then? Because I could have, going into this, I could have sang you the chorus of yeah. We Wear the Silver, We Wear the Black. It was like George Michael's sports machine. How the fuck did I <laughs> did I know that? I don't know. Yeah, because I, with the exception of, of the uh, Super Bowl shuffle and that Patriot song we just played, like, those are the only ones I ever really remember hearing at the time they were out. Yeah, I think these were more these were more regional hits, which is yeah. a shame because there was there was a lot here to appreciate. I have two more from 1986 NFL football rosters and these may be the two real gems of the batch, the 1986 Rams. Do you, do you familiar <laughs> with this one? Let's ram it. Oh my goodness. Yeah, they were not a particularly successful football team, but they were um a thoroughly disgusting <laughs> musical act. <laughs> so get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with the LA Rams. Hollywood handsome, Dodge City tough. If you throw it my way, it's gonna get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Jeter. Nobody dresses sweeter. But under this cool is a quarterback mistreater. I come from the end. Kind of musically <laughs> anticipating Woomp There It Is and tag team <laughs> lyrically. More of a more of a PG-13 two-live crew. <laughs> right. I like they just crank through it, though. Each guy gets, like, four lines and, like, boom, 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 boom. Let's get everybody in on this song. I think, uh, to this day... Up tempo rap is is it's just a fun gimmick that yeah. remains underexploited. It always works. It's always fun when guys have to have to you know the uh, uh, bombs over Baghdad thing. When you just just yeah. don't don't do fifteen mid tempo songs on your album. Do one fast <laughs> yeah. one. Uh, that and for anybody listening that is not familiar with that one, uh, highly recommend getting on YouTube and watching the music video as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be posting all of these links. I'm on pat- I'm Patreoning these days, as you know, and as you as you do as well. And I'll definitely put up a uh, a YouTube link to each and every one of these because musically, what people are enjoying is just the the tip of the iceberg oh, yeah. of these of these gems. Oh my god! Particularly when it comes to the final 1986 NFL football musical masterpiece. Now, this song is it's not just a song. It's perhaps best understood as part of the soundtrack to a 17-minute short film made by the Cleveland Browns featuring guest star as the bad guy, Tiny Tim, of the (laughs) tiptoeing through the tulips, Uh uh you know, uh, Johnny Carson fame. They made a thing where again they did it for the kids but they're out there in a vacant lot somewhere hitting each other with with wooden swords in like a swords and sandal yet kind of sci-fi short film called masters of the gridiron i am i am not aware of this one at all it's yeah this is fantastic so if you can literally hear in the background of the song some like wood clanking on other pieces of wood it's because it's during an action scene (laughs) in in the movie hold on Dude, in that 30-second clip alone, there's a guy fighting <laughs> Tiny Tim 
there's guys wearing ninja headbands flipping each other over in just a field just just by some trees somewhere and there's a dude fighting a bear <laughs> wait so how do how do the cleveland browns fit is this actually them it's not them singing right okay so uh let, let me see what i can i i did find out a little bit about this i don't believe it's them singing they did show a bit of a chorus line of a couple of dudes singing backup vocals which leads me to believe that some of the browns may have sang um backup i will say that one uh that one surprised me a little bit because i mean let's be it's it's super 80s and and corny but like musically like that one's like it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to I'm going to sit around and listen to it, but like compared to the other ones, I'm like, yeah, that I could I could hear that as a song. Very <laughs> many very similar songs flew just fine in millions of A minus to B level motion pictures in that same Exactly. Era. Yeah. Exactly. So that's it for 86 football teams, but um by now the the virus had spread to other sports. And of course, the Los Angeles teams needed to um, to get in on the action because they were incredibly Hollywood. And so the um, the '86 Dodgers recorded a song called "Baseball Boogie," and it's 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 as '80s LA as it could possibly be. It starts outside of a fake nightclub, and there's exactly one paparazzo taking photos as like the same limousine pulls up over and over, and the likes of like Charo and Ed Begley Jr. get out to enter this performance of the. Los Angeles baseball Dodgers. Here's this here. Unbelievable. Um, Farrah Fawcett in that <laughs> clip. Um, also, I, I'm going to guess it was Jermaine Jackson when he, in his phase where he and Emmanuel Lewis were also dressing exactly like Michael Jackson. <laughs> I before, I mean, he's, he literally has like the kind of military style jacket on and the sunglasses and right. the Jerry curl. It's Jermaine just, if Michael can't come, <laughs> Jermaine can show up and be a Jackson who looks almost exactly like him. Pedro Guerrero on lead vocals for that section and tragically sadly mariano duncan um who was their shortstop i think at the time billy crystal had already been doing a character in the very early 80s on saturday night live who was an old (laughs) latin player saying baseball being very very good to me and there's mariano duncan Uh five years later (laughs) saying it with a straight face Yeah, I did not know that one either. But I can almost picture the dance moves of Oral Hershiser. There's some white guy. There's some white guy thrusting at the camera. I don't know if it's Oral Hershiser. It's not Jerry Royce. I don't know who who the hell it is. But he makes me very very uncomfortable. <laughs> I just take any chance I can to say the name Oral. Crazy, Hershiser, right? Because what a fantastic the Storm and Mormon. Name. <laughs> um and then by 1987 the uh the plague of sports teams singing horrible songs had spread north of the border and i and in this case i do mean singing um the calgary flames of 1987 whipped up this track right here
You Can't Touch a Flame When It's Red Hot, sung by a guy who looks like every coked up police officer from the 1980s. He's got a big fat mustache and a mullet, and I'm sure <laughs> every third Canadian listening to this right now had a had a poster of him on their wall when they were a kid, whoever the hell he is. <laughs> I mean, but also that's just it's just good advice though, too. <laughs> it is it is true. I think he's metaphorically bragging about how talented the 87 Flames were. And for all I know, that was the most dominant team in the history yeah, of the I have NHL. No idea. I think this is the Gretzky era, so I'm guessing they didn't get the cup that year but i have absolutely no idea yeah uh let me see there's there are so many of these i I don't want to bore people with with all of them um the 1988 eagles were coached by buddy ryan Uh and now maybe here's my theory maybe buddy ryan was the secret mastermind of the super bowl (laughs) shuffle because he was as we know not the head coach but the defensive coordinator Uh the architect of the famed 46 defense Mm -hmm. right so buddy everybody knew that it was not the punky qb that won the super bowl for those uh bears despite the 46 points they scored in the super bowl it was their all-time great perhaps the most ferocious defense i've ever seen in my entire life and i say this as somebody who was rooting for the 86 giants who gave them a run for their money the the next year but richard dent mike singletary etc with um, buddy ryan at the helm that dominant defense got buddy a head coaching job with the eagles and um i think adding some credence to my theory is the fact that the song is inexplicably about buddy ryan (laughs) (laughs) oh wait this is sounding vaguely familiar actually yeah 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 for reasons that are never made clear the 88 eagles song is called buddy's watching you Poor little, I think he said his name was Luis Dejas, the kicker, who should never have been there in the first. It was like asking Luis Dejas to kick a 75-yard field goal. It was simply never going to work. <laughs> I swear some of these, I, I'm convinced that like someone had some sort of just like portable recording rig and just like they had these verses written and they just like record them to like no music because like there's no rhythm there it's just no it's and that happens so often in these these sports songs um let me see one more from what i'm calling the golden age of sports teams making awful music by 1988 the lakers finally made their inevitable song and they also covered themselves in um in a a charitable angle so i'm actually going to play you two clips of this because i i simply i simply could not choose we'll start with the first verse in just say no which was um taken by the funky mc (laughs) kareem abdul jabbar (laughs) 
19. I don't need drugs, I got a higher thing. My sky hook makes the team look good, but there's a hook we gotta shake from the neighborhood. My name is Weston on the court, I'm rough. And that guy can kind of rap. The second guy, so Kareem, they probably led with the superstar, and the second guy, I don't know who, who's that. I can't, I can't identify him. He's wearing sunglasses and and um, a hat. Uh, yeah, he seems like the guy who wanted to do this because he could actually do it a little bit. What's uh-huh. What's great about this is that they have all of the the great Lakers of the day. A veritable All Star team. Kurt Rambis takes a memorable oh, yeah. verse on this, but dancing alongside them and singing the chorus the entire time is their coach Pat Riley. <laughs> and he he was taking one for the team somebody did talk him into taking a quick verse himself after the children's choir sang the hook in the very end of the song here's pat riley on the mic My plays really do the thing, so I'm here to tell you the best play of all. Say no to drums in this life is Somebody took Pat Riley's voice saying ball and did the thing where it goes ball 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 ball. Uh fantastic. Yeah, that's like that's like next level when when they get the coach involved. Because those are rare, I feel like, but it does happen every now and then. And you would have just thought that he would he has this um, image to this day. He's still running the Miami Heat. He's still one of the elite power brokers in the NBA that he would have been smart enough to stay away from it. I guess it's like one of these things that you just have to do for camaraderie. He's wearing sunglasses the entire time. He doesn't appear right. doesn't appear to want to be there. He's dancing very noncommittally. Oh, and to your earlier point about when it, you can tell that the guys aren't on, on mic or anything – Obviously, these are things that they bang out in a day or overnight or in an afternoon. And very often, the music video, if it's not them in the locker room, it's just them in the recording studio. Yeah. And it is, nobody has 37 mics set up in the <laughs> right. recording studio. So it's the We Are the World thing of that there's a couple of room mics and everyone's standing there singing the chorus. And particularly in the case of Luis Zendejas, the funky kicker of the 1988 Philadelphia Eagles. He is like a head and a half shorter than almost everybody else <laughs> there. So I don't think anybody thought to or cared to adjust the microphone to get it anywhere near his face. It's great, too, when you can see them reading the lyrics off of the paper. Although, in fairness, I think you could tell you could see the same thing sometimes in We Are the World. And oh, those yeah. are professionals. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I, my favorite thing is the guys that you can tell are just so uncomfortable being a part of it but yet do it anyways yeah exactly you can just see it on their face sometimes like these this guy does not want to be here or he's just very uncomfortable being on camera maybe he's into it but he cannot show that he is yeah maybe he's just a maybe that was that maybe that was the coolest he was able to muster or maybe this is the guy who who thought it was a bad idea and as he walked into the room knew it was a bad idea but at that point you couldn't turn around and leave (laughs) so fun okay i have more of these than i know what to do with i'm gonna play you uh two more before we wrap this us uh, this up the um the O five 5 bangles had a to my ear somewhat credible hip-hop song featuring bootsy collins on the hook called wow. fear the tigers it's kind of not good enough or bad enough to really be remarkable the 1990 u.s world cup soccer team i'm gonna spare them and not play their song a because i think they hired two credible hip-hop figures one to do the beat and maybe one to take all the verses so it's just them singing the gang chorus the 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 worst part of it is them 
homoerotically frolicking shirtless on a beach heading a soccer ball to each other in the music <laughs> video. What I will uh, play for you before we get to Troy Aikman is the um, the 1990 Miami Dolphins and their take on the the then smash song Can't Touch This. Mm-hmm. And it, they just called it Can't Touch Us. <laughs> Clever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> these, guys, these guys were multi-talented. <laughs> I think that might have been Dustin Diamond on the mic. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've already forgot. Who is this again? I've already forgotten. It's the, ni- the 1990 Miami Dolphins. And the guy okay. who's doing that verse, I don't, who was their quarterback? It's this really punchable white dude wearing a white suit, no shirt, and a white bow tie. He's Wait. rapping on his way up an elevator into their stadium, flanked by a Hooters girl. <laughs> well, I mean, their qu- their quarterback would have been Dan Marino at that time. That's right. That's right. No, yeah. that's not Marino. I don't know who this guy is. Of course, that would have been Marino. No, I don't think he was. He was off filming an isotoner ad. I think. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, yeah. Is that the Miami Dolphins or was that Weird Al Yankovic? Because what a killer parody. And finally, okay, so tell me what you recall about Troy Aikman's musical career. Uh, I, I really, in all honesty, I only kind of like teased that this happened. I haven't dove in too much. I know <sighs> that I know that there was a CD that was put out that was uh, a collection of of players from the Cowboys in the like late nineties, and I think Troy Aikman is just like on one of the songs, if I remember correctly. So. Based on whatever website I found, there's this 1995 album called Everybody Wants to Be a Cowboy, recorded by a super group of super football players who called themselves the Super Boys. Right. So uh, Jay Novacek, Randy White, Walt Garrison, and special teams coordinator Joe <laughs> Avaz- Avazano. The... <laughs> The project was the brainchild of the special teams coordinator, the late Avizano, who fancied himself a country singer. This is a local article I'm getting this from, said Avizano performed many times in public whenever he could find a captive audience. So there was more to that guy than just kicking, punting, and kick and punt returns. Right. He also had a passion for, and he believed a talent for country music, and... He was popular enough around the locker room that he got a bunch of cowboys, including their Hall of Fame quarterback, to record a song. And I don't know if this is already a song and it's a cover or if this is an original. I I, I, I do not care enough to find out. But I'm led to believe this is Troy Aikman on lead vocals on his single from the Everybody Wants to Be a Cowboy album, um, Oklahoma Nights. Driving down 66 This old pickup truck and me In your memory Thinking about how two young kids Became sweethearts till the end 
It's definitely Troy Aikman. <laughs> yeah, he did not get a stand-in. That's Troy Aikman. <laughs> yeah, it's for sure Troy Aikman. Uh, yeah, I don't. It's 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 crazy that. Uh, oh no! Well, you said there was a 2005 Bengals song or something like that. Because like, yep. I, it's it's crazy to hear ones like that. Even though 95 was you know a long time ago at this point, but like. That's still, uh, it, it doesn't, just doesn't seem like these happen very much anymore, at least to my knowledge. And like, even though 95 was a long time ago, that still seems like too recent for that to have happened. Yeah, I know. It definitely belongs to a, a bygone era. Um, there are some newer ones that I came across. I forget which one it is. It's not, it's not Ram It. Uh, maybe it's the Seahawks song. Like very, very recently, somebody from the team in conjunction with, I think a somewhat credible name musician made like a remix of the silly thing that came out back then. Look, it's never Uh been easier to make okay music. So the era of high, high unintentional comedy, in my opinion, has, has largely ended because anybody can make something that's, that's just disposable, you know? So if there are, and I think there are a couple of these things that come out nowadays, but they're just, it's just not ever going to be as, as much fun as, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the mic. For sure. And it seems like, yeah, athletes are still trying to make music, but it's usually, like, them by themselves, like, make a solo album away from the team. Which is a whole other thing. Look, we could have talked about Neon Deion Sanders' collaboration with MC Hammer here, and perhaps someday we will. But even that, I think, was past the era of my name is blank and I'm here to say. for sure. Not too far past, (laughs) but uh, he just slightly rephrases that line. That's about it. Well, that's all the stuff that I got. Before I let you go, what is the latest on Bizarre Albums? Uh, The newest episode uh, is the 1970 album from actor Jack Palance. I saw that! Yeah, which is also a country album. Um, Palance uh, Palance Sings? Yeah, Palance Sings. Um, It's not the worst thing you've ever heard. It's not... It's not great either, but you know, it's okay. If I listen to it, do I go, holy shit, Jack Palance is trying to sing? Or do you go, that's Jack Palance? And I go, oh yeah, that is Jack Palance. Or do you say that's Jack Palance? And I go, is it? Uh, It's not so much the last one, but kind of a combination of those first two. (laughs) Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) Uh, again, like it's there are there are many worse <laughs> records that I've covered on the show, and as I always say, I I never like you know here between you know talking yes. about it, I'll kind of say my true feelings. But normally on the show, I just kind of like here's this thing that happened and kind of tell the story behind it. But uh, I know, yeah, which is, is why I'm, I'm contemplating doing a tribute podcast to yours, where I just play yours and hit pause and make fun of everything that you are too <laughs> kind to. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I am biting my tongue sometimes, but uh, I have. I have no doubt. Well, thank you as always for your time. Hopefully it will not be another six months until we do this again. Hopefully the next time we do this, we might even be sitting in the same room. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It's going to be weird. It's going to be weird. I'll let you know right now. It's going to be awkward. It's going to take me a little (laughs) while to reacclimate to human contact. Yeah, I know. But boy, oh boy, I really like my apartment and I am so goddamn sick of my apartment right now. Well said. Well said. Yeah. So it's at Bizarre Albums for all your Bizarre Album needs and at Tony Thaxton for all of your Tony Thaxton needs, correct? Correct. Beautiful. Thank you, friend, as always. See you next time. Thank you.